Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Discipline Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it is my pleasure to introduce our next guest, Joe Navarro. Joe's name should sound very familiar to those of you who have studied communication and behavioral analysis throughout your career. He is a 25-year veteran of the FBI, and during his time at the Bureau, he served as both an agent and a supervisor in the fields of counterintelligence and counterterrorism. Since his time at the Bureau, Joe has gone on to become a world-renowned resource, giving thousands of presentations on all things behavioral analysis, communication, leadership, and persuasion related. He has authored 14 books, including his number one international bestseller, What Everybody is Saying. His most recent book, Be Exceptional, covers the five traits of highly exceptional individuals. He's also published The Dictionary of Body Language, Louder Than Words, Dangerous Personalities, his poker book, Read Them and Weep, and many, many more. He has currently updated and added new content to his online Behavioral Analysis Academy as well. Joe has so much to offer through his research and his experience, and I'm thrilled that he carved out just a little bit of time to talk with us this morning. In this conversation, he's going to cover so many great points of consideration, including how we should all really prioritize assessing the situation and assessing our observations as we interact with people. The inseparable relationship between making quality observations and then making the right decision based on those observations. The importance of addressing emotions first. Differentiating ourselves from so many of these dangerous myths that permeate the behavioral analysis field. Even the FBI's three-quarter rule. And so much, so much more. So many great stories. He's studying primates. He shares so many great ideas. I'm really excited to share them with all of you. But before we do, we've got to take just a quick moment and thank our sponsors. As always, we want to thank Humantel. If you haven't already, please head over to humantel.com and check out all of their online self-paced best-in-class training courses for learning how to accurately evaluate in real time, which is important. And you hear Joe talk about many times, how to accurately evaluate in real time what people are likely feeling and experiencing based on identifying shifting emotions through their facial expression and body language. Humantel offers the best online video-based training, and I highly recommend you taking the time to check it out. When you're there, please enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off all of their best-in-class online training. We want to thank the International Association of Interviewers as well. Please head over to the certifiedinterviewer.com to see all things International Association of Interviewers. That's where you can see all of their online training, all of their in-person training, all of their interviewer resources, requirements in order to join, the benefits both at the individual and organizational level for joining the association. It's also where you can learn more about the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation to see if that's appropriate for you or your team's career at this moment in time. Please head over to certifiedinterviewer.com to check out the International Association of Interviewers and learn more about the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation. And please head over to Inquasive.com. That's where you can learn more about the custom engagements our clients ask us to facilitate as we teach their teams how to obtain the everyday confession and all of their sales, negotiation, leadership conversation, and candidate interviews. All the information you need on our customized engagements can be found there at Inquasive.com. Thank you all so much for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate you being here every week for these conversations. And now without further ado, we introduce to you, Joe Navarro. Good morning, Joe. It is a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Michael, my, my pleasure. I know you're busy. You got a lot of things going on. So many things I would love to take the time to dive in. But my first question is a bit of a throwback. So I was initially introduced to your work back in the mid 2000s with a coworker of mine who was a big poker player. He probably still is. I've never been much of a poker player. So this is a bit of an ironic question for me. But for all of my friends who are watching and ours are poker players, I'd like to ask, Based on your techniques and your history and your expertise, what should people be doing to make more money at the poker table? Uh, invest in the stock market. Uh, <laughs> doing really well right now. 
well, let me just, uh, thanks for the, the question. Let me just uh, answer that by first saying I'm not a poker player. How I came to uh, write a book with Phil Helmuth is uh, is a bizarre story. He he had read uh, actually Annie Duke uh, had read some of the articles that I had written for uh, the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin, and I guess she shared them with um, with Phil. And uh, so one day I got a call out of the blue um, from somebody who said was Phil Helmuth. and uh, I didn't know who Phil Helmuth was. And said, hey, I want you to come and teach at the uh, uh, poker, uh, uh, this poker thing they had going in uh, World Series of Poker. And uh, I, you know, I didn't know who he was. So I said, uh, yeah, I, sorry, I don't know who you are. And I hung up on him. And then uh, a couple of days later, I got a call from his manager and says, hey, you know, I'm a friend of Annie Duke. And, uh, you know, we're serious. We want you to come out. And I said, I, I don't know anything about poker. And they said, yeah, but you know about the human behavior. And and that's how it, it got started. And um, what, I, what I thought was weird was uh, uh, the first time I went there, I, uh, all these uh, uh, pros were sitting in the front row taking notes. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if they're taking notes, um, they're behind the curveball here because there was uh, TJ Cloutier. Uh, uh, there was uh, uh, just any number of, uh, of poker players uh, that I got to know over time. And what I realized was that prior to me arriving on the scene, I think there was a, a poker book that was out about tells and uh, it had about 50 behaviors or so forth. And, um, and then when, uh, when what everybody is saying came out um, and louder and uh, the book that I ended up writing with uh, Phil was called um, read them and reap. Uh, it had about 140 behaviors. And um, so I, I, I think um it, it was just really weird that, um, you know, it really made me wonder what were they focusing on before? Uh, because things like uh, the bouncing leg, when you when you have a monster hand, right? And you say, well, how can you see the, the leg? Well, you see the vibration of the shoulder from the leg. Um you know, they they never thought about uh, the furrowed glabella you know, when uh, you have doubts or or you know you're you're worried. Um, neck touching. I I remember everybody in that front row was writing neck touching. <laughs> they never considered uh, neck touching as a indicator of of psychological uh, uh, discomfort. Um, something like a, like a steeple. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, you look at your cards, uh, maybe on the river, you uh, you look at what's out there, and uh, all of a sudden you're steepling. Well, that's a sign of confidence. But all those things um, were remarkable to me, and I say that uh, honestly because, you know, in my job, I had a salary. My job as an FBI agent was to uh, observe behavior. Um, and whether I did that well or not, I got paid. But I thought, poker players, that's, that's what you base your income on. How is it that you don't know this? Because this is how you earn your living. And, uh, and so that, that really caught me by, uh, by, by surprise that um, along the way, there hadn't been uh, more focus on, uh, on, uh, on, on body language, but, but more specifically what science teaches us about, uh, about body language. So, um, uh, yeah, I have to thank Bill Helmuth for uh, getting me involved with that, getting my name known out there. And, 
and then uh, over time, uh, writing books and, uh, and so forth. I appreciate the look behind the curtain there. Thank you very much. It's it kind of neat it's to a, hear how long, that happened. It, it's, a, it's a long answer, but a lot of people, I still get people that write me and, and say, hey, how's your poker game? I, I've never really played. Don't yeah. care to play. <laughs> no, it's, it's never been something I've played. And when people ask me, what's my advice on playing poker? Stay sober. Well, one the other thing I learned is poker is a really a smart, uh, smart person's game. Uh, almost everybody I talked to, whether it was any Duke, uh, Greg Raymer, uh, uh, Antonio Spenderi, all, all the all the people that I befriended me over time. These are really smart people. They know statistics. Um, they know. Uh, all sorts of theories and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, th this game isn't for me. You know, I was, <laughs> I was that C student that was uh, glad to get through uh, high school. Uh, these people are really bright when it comes to, uh, to uh, information uh, and stuff. I, I remember having a, a, a conversation once with Greg Raymer and uh, you're talking about the, you know, by the time you get to the final table in a, in a major event, and uh, after a week of, of playing, we, you know, we came to the, the, uh, the uh, conclusion that you're probably making a quarter of a million observations and decisions. My goodness. Yeah, easily. <laughs> easily. If you, if you make it to the final table, uh, you've played for 10 days. Um, just, just think about, you, you know, you, you've, uh, there's eight seats. Uh, and you're up against everybody there and you have to be observing and making decisions. And it, the number just got, big, uh, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, uh, that's hard work. <laughs> it's exhausting work. And now yeah. I know why I can confirm, I should say why poker never became for me. It's the math. <laughs> <laughs> Passing math class was my biggest challenge. Every grade, every semester. So now yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. They're, they're amazing. Uh, they're amazing to, to talk to. And, uh, you know, and Annie Duke is, uh, you know, with game theory and statistics, uh, she just, you know, she'll, she'll blow your mind. Uh, just to, what a what a unique mind she has. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for sharing that. There's no real smooth pivot to go from poker to business conversation. So I guess I'm going to have to make kind of a, a hard transition. But as you were giving us a, a peek into that point in time yeah. and that story, you mentioned the integration of what science tells us. And even yeah. in that last piece, you mentioned the, the two, the hand-in-hand the -hand process of making observations and then making right. decisions and how one, actually, it's a, kind of a cycle. They feed them both. Right. And for me, I, from a professional standpoint, I, what I really started getting into your work, like so many other people, was with the book that's behind your shoulder, what everybody is saying for the, for the right. people who can see the video. And I was struck in, immediately by the application of the science. So it wasn't just somebody else who I met that was telling me a story about this conversation they had. There was the science behind it. And I'm assuming a lot like with poker in the business world and in the investigations world, people often trade on these myths and these assumptions that they aren't science driven. They aren't practical. It misleads people. And I know our time is short today. There's so many directions we could take it. But as I think about kind of society today and work culture today, one of the things that I would be very, very curious to get your insight on is people are a lot more emotional. At least it seems they're a lot more emotional today than in previous times. And sometimes people might be venting, they might be posturing, or they might really be presenting legitimate threats that need to be taken serious. And through your unique experience, and of course, all of the science that include in what you do, I would love if you could to please give us a little bit of insight if we can onto how to potentially, I know context is king, but without any specific context, begin to dif differentiate between somebody who might be venting or posturing and yeah. truly making a legitimate threat. Yeah. You know, as, as you're, uh, uh, as you're asking that question, there's uh, there's so many ways to to go with that. 
um, you know, when you ask, uh, is, is that person making a legitimate threat? Is, is it a legitimate threat or is, a, uh, or is it a mock uh, threat? And, uh, and I'm reminded, uh, I, I, I studied animals for, for many years. Um, and um, I, I, re- I remember um, uh, being at the zoo and uh, talking to one of the people there. And, and, and they said, you know, it, it's, it's uh, most of the time when an elephant charges you, it's a, it's a, it's a mock charge, right? And and I said, well, how do you know when they restrain themselves? And he said, you don't. <laughs> he said, you know, most of the time they do a mock charge that says stay away. You know, there's plenty of videos out there that show that. It says but every once in a while, uh, you, you never know. And I, I think that's a, a very valid question. I think the assumption that we all have to make is that, number one, that uh, safety and security is our responsibility. It, it cannot be outsourced. It, uh, it certainly can't be arbitrary or fickle and left to what society may think your reaction should be. Uh, we we did not evolve as a species to have consensus of the group. Uh, before we act. Um, so my my first caution is that it's it's our responsibility and uh, what uh, may affect me as uh, something that may cause me fear, apprehension, and so forth uh, may be different for somebody else. It, it certainly cannot be a collective decision or one that we have to take time out and um, you know, as I often said, um, ha- you know, uh, there's a reason why we have a limbic brain. It's uh, that elegant, exquisitely elegant part of the brain that reacts to the world, doesn't think about it. Um, had we had to uh, deal with that, we would have died out as a species because um, it, thinking about something takes too long. So the, the reactive behaviors are, are um, are actually more uh, uh, more beneficial. So number one is it's our responsibility, and number two is um, in context. You know what can we do? Um, uh, you know, there's there's uh, far bigger people than myself, far faster uh, than myself, and I've been confronted with uh, many situations. Um, I remember being on the uh, Parker Indian Reservation, and I was uh, confronted by uh, six individuals, uh, and they all had uh, some sort of uh, weapon in their hand. Uh, I've been confronted with uh, individuals with uh, guns, machetes, uh, uh, other things, and um, you know, you you have to you know consider well what works, right? Um, and, uh, a lot of times running doesn't, doesn't do, uh, but, uh, part of it is, okay, I'm out here, uh, I'm by myself. How do I handle this? And the realization that any one of them can hurt me. So, um, you know, creating distance, using my voice to calm things down, uh, talking to, to, uh, to people, um, Using my body language to uh, convey that uh, I'm I'm not afraid, even though I I don't mind saying I I was, um, you know. Uh, there's all sorts of of things that uh, that that we can do, um, but when I go back to those uh, situations and I relive them, I'm reminded that. Um, I was observing all the antecedent behaviors and I wasn't paying as much attention then as I would now because I was a lot younger. That uh, in domestic situations, uh, you often see that things are escalating and no one is making an effort to calm things down. You don't know where it's headed, but you know later on you say, "Boy, that trajectory looked like a forty-five degree angle." 
but nobody was willing to, um, you know, take it down a notch. And I remember uh, being on the Indian reservation and, um, and, uh, uh, thinking to myself, uh, when it was all over, uh, boy, that was really dumb. You pulled up too close to the house. You didn't give yourself enough distance. Um, they could have uh, outmaneuvered you. Um, uh, you know, help was only three hours away. There are all sorts of things. And you go back and 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 you think, what if I had taken time to observe how many people are in the house? Should I approach now or should I approach later? Just because. There was only one vehicle at the house. Did not mean that the house was empty. Uh, you know all sorts of things. And one of the things that I learned is to really observe the world around you, to observe uh, everything that um, you know. You want to uh, that distance always uh, gives you an advantage. Where are the hands? What are they doing with their hands? How many people are you dealing with? Is is the risk I'm taking worth it? Or should I just, you know what, get back in my car and back up um, and, uh, and so forth? Um, I've been confronted. Uh, I was in a hotel one time and, uh, you know, you can hear there's a, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of uh, young people there. And I go to get in the elevator and when the door opened up, uh, a lot of young people and a lot of alcohol that I could, you know, uh, alcoholic beverages, I should say, that, that I could smell. And I said, Man, I'm not getting in. I'm just not, you know. Uh, and as I, as I often said in my book, uh, Dangerous Personalities, uh, you have no social obligation ever to uh, be victimized. And I said, you know, I'm just not getting in here. It, there's just something about uh, this group of uh, young men and uh, and uh, alcohol don't mix together. So um, I'll uh, I'll wait. So I I, I think um, observation is is really key, and uh, deciphering the world around you in such a way that makes you wiser, uh, not necessarily smarter, but just wiser. Of I shouldn't you know, be walking down the street. I shouldn't be doing this at this hour. I, uh, you know, I certainly learned uh, when I was a criminal profiler um, that um, it just, you know, how much crime increases. You can, you can go from, uh, uh, you can, you can go from a uh, situation where you have a, there's a very low chance of you being victimized at certain hours, but then it increases at late hours. And uh, I'll never forget a, a young woman who unfortunately lost her life. Her, she had run out of cigarettes. Uh, we estimate sometime around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, she walked. Um, to buy a pack of cigarettes and, um, you know, and uh, unfortunately she, she lost her life. And, and so the, the, the time of day could affect uh, your chance of, of being victimized. So there's, there's a lot that uh, goes into being wise about our own safety and our, and our own um, well-being. Uh, but certainly we shouldn't uh, outsource it nor, nor assume that uh, someone's uh, always going to have our, our back. I'm not sure if that answers your, your question, but, but that's certainly my, my perspective on it. Um, the other perspective I have is that um, from a safety standpoint is that you're only as safe um, as uh, the environment or the, the people around you. Um, I was at Brigham Young University, one of the safest campuses in America. And uh, I was there on duty the night that uh, Ted Bundy abducted uh, a, uh, a visiting student. Wow. And um, you can take the safest place in the world but all it takes is uh, is the one predator, and um, and I learned my lesson 
that um, you know, that um, you know it's it's not where we're at. Uh, that it can all it takes is one person, but it's that failure to observe uh, that uh, can often harm us. And which brings me to to uh, uh, to this, you know, it's the it's what we call the the three quarter rule that uh, you never get in somebody's car, even if they have a gun. Uh, you have uh, three fourths of the time, even if they shoot, you're going to survive. Uh, three fourths of the time, uh, or three fourths of the time, they're going to miss, even if they shoot. Three fourths of the time, if you get hit, you're going to survive. Um, and uh, and so there's certain there's certain uh, rules that we apply. Observation plus, uh, what should I do in any one circumstance? So, um, that's that's my take on it. It's a great take. Thank you very much for sharing it. Um, so much wisdom there from paying attention to the antecedent behaviors, the powers of observation, understanding the context. It's a very minimal story compared to all you shared. But recently, I got a flat tire on a business trip in a subpar neighborhood. And I'm sitting in a gas station waiting for the tow truck. And I know it's going to be a couple hours and it's below 10 degrees. So I'm staying in the car yeah. and I got the car positioned. I think the best way I can, but I'm watching the sun and the closer that sun is getting to the tops of the buildings around me. And like, um, I'm going to have to start making some different decisions here. So all very important illustrations to make. I, if you don't mind, I'd like to take kind of the same question, but from a different angle, mental health is becoming such a greater concern for people across the board. And we all have yeah. bad days. We all have low moments. Our states can, can shift up and down through your experience, through observation and communication yeah. and your expertise. Are there particular signs that you look for to differentiate between somebody who might be having a bad day or a low moment or somebody who really needs connection and support? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a profound question because even even the the people that are severely flawed of character, uh your your you know, psychopath, your antisocial, your uh, paranoid personality, your uh, borderline personality, your narcissistic personality, uh, they still need help. So the problem is most of us can't give it and uh most of us wouldn't even know how to to uh, to 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 engage it um you know the 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 way i look at that is um you never really know when you're uh, going to confront somebody and and i you know i re i remember uh, working as a police officer. So before I came to the FBI, I was a police officer. Is that uh, every time you pull uh, somebody over on a traffic stop, every one of them was different. And I just, uh, it, it was just interesting to see how different they were. Like, you know, how dare you pull me over? And I didn't do anything wrong to yes, officer. And you, you see the, the, the full gamut. And um, and it makes you realize the importance of um, and, and I often talk about this in training. It doesn't matter whether uh, you're out and about or yeah. in negotiations. Is before you get to what what normally is called the transaction phase, where if you're pulling somebody over, um, you know. You you might ask for their driver's license or tell them what they're doing wrong. Or in negotiations, you're you know you're uh, talking about facts and figures. That our first responsibility is to assess and uh, and uh, observe and, and assess because the, the emotions from a survival standpoint, uh, emotions have priority. Now, that goes counter to uh, what a lot of people uh, have taught us over the year. You know, uh, people have said, you know, calm down, use your head, right? right? That's not how the brain evolved. The brain evolved, right, 
you know, once again, we're talking about the, 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 the exquisite limbic system that it reacts to the world. It's constantly observing the world uh, from smell, fire, from uh, threats, posture uh, of individuals approaching. All of that is, is uh, processed uh, very quickly. And, um, and that, uh, that's part of the emotional brain and that takes priority over everything else. And I always use this example. People have heard it a thousand times. Have you ever been in an argument and after the argument is over, maybe a half hour, an hour later, you remember all the clever lines you should have said. (laughs) Well, the reason you didn't have those clever lines at that moment is because the uh, there's limbic hijacking. That more primitive area of the brain takes over to deal with a you know hostility and, and a threat, and then only later you know does the executive part of the brain, the high thinking part of the brain, take over, and then you know now you sound like Churchill. Uh, well, you didn't sound like Churchill in the middle of the argument. And uh, and so if you remember that, right? If you remember that that de- we deal with emotions first, then I think that can help you. Um, and it ta- it certainly taught me early on to assess for the emotional level and see where they're at. Maybe they're angry because they just got fired. Maybe they're angry because. Uh, they got bad news from a child uh, in college, May, whatever it is. Um, and, and you can have uh, a lot of cumulative things. Uh, I, you know, I remember a, a guy in downtown Tampa. I mean, you know, can it go, get worse? Um, uh, he, he had been uh, fired that day, uh, gets in his car, and his engine catches on fire. Okay. And I remember him uh, uh, stopped. I, I had seen him uh, uh, before, and of course, everybody runs over to put it out. And uh, you know, uh, he tells us about what a bad day he's having. Yeah, he had a really bad uh, day, and uh, and he was and he was upset, but not to the level where you know he wanted to punch somebody. But he was upset to the level where. He's he's not being logical, right? So that's one of the things that can happen, right? Is like, you know, what do I do now? Who do I contact? You know, stuff like that. You can be upset to the point where you are literally hysterical, and you're thrashing out, and you're and you're, you know, uh, you, you can get very physical. Um, you know, and I always caution people: remember. <laughs> Testosterone can be really scary. Um, and um, so you you say, well, how do I deal with with all of them? And, and I just always follow the same track. Distance is your best friend. Space is your best friend. Avoid, uh, you know, antagonizing through intense eye contact is your best friend. Um, keep your voice modulated. There's, there's no reason to yell. There's no reason to, um, uh, to scream. It, it doesn't help. I've never seen a screaming voice help anybody ever, <laughs> in, you know, in the history of mankind. And, um, so, you know, try to modulate that. And once again, tell yourself, it's my responsibility to keep things calm, uh, if for no other reason than to protect myself. Um, and I think if you think about it that, uh, that way, and giving people the chance to uh, to um, uh, vent, um, you know, it sounds counterintuitive, and I get this all the time. Well, you're just letting them, you know, yell at you and so forth. Yeah, but, you know, if you understand the second law of thermodynamics, uh, entropy eventually kinks in. You only have so much blood sugar in your body. Eventually, you'll calm down and um, and just let them vent. Um, I remember uh, 
One of the first arrests I made uh, with, with another officer, he had served in, in, the, uh, in Hawaii in the Honolulu Police Department. And uh, we brought this guy in and he was just, you know, thrashing about and yelling and screaming. And, and I said, well, you know, should we go in there? And he says, just let him do it. Just turn it off. And uh, eventually the guy just wore himself out. Said, yeah, OK, <laughs> it works. And uh, it does. And, and in a way, if, if you if you know, if you ask people, you know, what are you so angry about? It actually helps to validate. Uh, it doesn't mean you agree, but it certainly uh, um, helps to validate uh, what they're struggling with. And uh, and eventually, you know, they they uh, they do calm down. Obviously, they they can make a lot of noise and and stuff. But I, I'd rather hear noise than somebody get punched. Um, I couldn't agree with that more. And, um, you know, I, I've been shot at, I've been stabbed. Um, uh, neither one is fun. Um, you know, I have 180 stitches in my body. Um, and I, I wish I, I hadn't known a lot of this stuff uh, ahead of time. So um, there's, uh, these are things to think about. And, uh, and I think it's helpful to, to remember. Safety, my safety is uh, is number one, and it's my job to calm things down because I can't expect anybody else to do it for me. It's the only way to look at it, and thank you for sharing, but you know, those stitches are proof positive as to, to how important this is. Would would love to pivot with the time we have remaining to something that's a little bit more positive <laughs> um, mm-hmm. than than stitches. But I know that you have your new, if I'm not using the right phrase, please correct me, your online behavioral analysis academy. Yeah, so I have the, uh, it's the the Body Language Academy uh, by Joe Navarro. Uh, We've been, I've been running it. uh, um, Well, basically it's been around since 2009 in uh, in, uh, uh, 2020. Uh, right as COVID hit, uh, uh, a dear friend of mine, Nadia Ait, uh, from the uh, from Copenhagen, we decided to uh, put it online in a virtual environment, and that's been going on now. Um, we've had hundreds of students. Um, it you know it's the Body Language Academy is uh, is really for those that want to go in depth. It, it it it's not for the uh, the people that just want to do a quick peek. Um, it takes about six to nine months to complete. Wow. Uh, so it's a yeah, it's it's serious study. Uh, we don't let anybody graduate from the program if they really don't know the stuff. And um, so that's been uh, very useful, very successful. Um, and then we we just started uh, a few weeks ago a uh, a business uh, online business uh, program uh, business course, and uh, they can go to the same site to uh, to look at that. A lot of business people said, "Look, I can't take six to nine months to uh, to study this." And a lot of corporations said, "We want to make something available." Uh, but we can't have an employee gone for so many days because we have to give them the time to study and you do it in six hours. And so we came up with a, a, a what I think is a very good program uh, of what everybody in business should know about body language and how to u- utilize it. Because as you know, Mike, one thing is to observe a behavior, right? But now what do you do with it? <laughs> right? It's like, you know, at the end of the meeting, you say, oh, you know, I, I saw him ventilating by pulling on it. Yeah, but what did you do that an hour and a half ago? And uh, and that's what the program is about, is how do we use this stuff right now to uh, either enhance communication or decipher other people or, you know, or conducting due, due diligence. So um, two, I think, excellent programs. Um, 
and uh, they've done uh, very well over the years. And and of course, the last one's uh, up and running for about uh, two months. Yeah, I knew it was new. Wanted to make sure we called attention to it. And yeah. your point about the observations in business meetings, I find in my work with executives, still a lot that are misled by myths, still no, a lot that their number one reaction when they believe somebody isn't being honest or is hiding something is just get angry about it. Because like you said, that always helps. Let's just get angry first. Um, but, but we do find, and I'm sure you more so than me, an appetite where really smart people are looking to update and sometimes almost do a uh, 180 on how they observe and how they interact with people. So with the few minutes that we have left, I certainly don't want to steal from the program, but do you have even two or three quick highlights for observations and then helpful decisions to make in a business context after you've made those observations? Yeah, great, uh, great lead in. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of myths out there. I mean, how many times have we said, well, the person is thinking and looks up to the left and answers by down to the right, they're, they're lying. Well, there, there's absolutely no science behind that trash. Um, the fact is, is that uh, we process information in different ways. Our eyes reflect that. Uh, people who are uh, very good with words, um, maybe thinking how to best word or phrase. And so you see the eye behavior all over the place. Um, I think the worst thing we can do, and I think it's the most uh, unethical thing that we can do is assume that if we see a behavior that the person is lying. Thank you. There's a lot of behaviors that are indicative of um, stress, anxiety, and concern. Uh, both the honest and the dishonest do them. Um, and the, the best that we can do is, uh, is ask, uh, you know, just dig deeper. Um, you know, if, if I ask uh, somebody, um, you know, it can that be delivered by uh, Friday of this week? And they say, yeah, I, I, I think so. And you see a ventilating behavior or there's some neck touching or neck scratching. My, ne my next question isn't, our, you know, are you lying? My next question is, just out of curiosity, what could interfere with that arriving? And they said, well, to be honest, we've had some problems with uh, deliveries, um, you know, and then they get to explain why they have a, a, a concern. Um, so th there, there are things that we can look for and, and say, all right, uh, you know, how is that useful? Um, somebody may be really interested in something you have to say. And so you see them crossing their arms in front of them. And there's this myth out there. I, I wish I could talk to the person who started that says, well, that's a, that's a blocking behavior. You, they tuned you out. No, it's not. No. If you find the oh. person that started it, please let me go with you to have that conversation. Hey, I said, this is a self-comforting behavior. Um, when I was studying primates uh, years ago, uh, I observed this in the Atlanta Zoo. Uh, uh, primates often, uh, in fact, they'll fall asleep like this with their arms crossed, just like my, uh, my, uh, my grandmother used to. It's a comforting behavior. It's uh, we we employ it uh, all the time. Yes, do people when they're angry do it? They do, but we also do it when we're at a show and we're watching and we're just enjoying ourselves. Don't draw those kind of inferences from it. Um, the you know the biggest thing for me, um, one of the things that the Body Language Academy teaches you is okay. Here are over 400 behaviors, right? Uh, you observe it. Now, what do you do with it? And, and what do you do with it in such a way that it becomes really useful? Uh, is it useful as a guide to further questions? Is it useful as a guide to, um, uh, for instance, be more empathetic? You know, people think, Oh, John Navarro, body language, uh, you know, he's always concerned of, you know, deception. 
I assure you, you know, and I, and I see this with, with a lot of people out there that, that, uh, you know, are teaching body language and their sole focus is on deception. Uh, first of all, humans are lousy at detecting deception. We're no better than chance. And I assure you, I don't waste my time uh, concerned about it uh, because what I'm interested in is uh, engaging with the person I'm with, uh, enjoying the conversation, making sure that things are, are getting along okay. If I sense that you know something was brought up that maybe hurt somebody's feelings or is uncomfortable, that I detect it immediately, so we can uh, go in a, in a uh, different direction. I was I was at an event the other day. There's a, a bunch of people around, and. Um, and you think, well, this is an innocuous statement. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, uh, once you're in your, your, your 70s, then, then you can rely on Social Security. And, uh, and I saw uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, lady's face just froze and I immediately changed the subject. You know, I don't need to be hit over the head. Uh, if I see uh, psychological discomfort, I don't have to be hammered about it. So we kept talking about other things. We talked about sports and, uh, and going out on boats and looking at manatees. And I forget, uh, her husband was nearby. And then she took me aside and she says, please, uh, thank you for uh, changing the subject. And I, you know, was like, you know, usually I get the, that same look when you talk religion or politics, but this time it was a social security. And I, and I said, uh, yeah, what happened? And uh, apparently the uh, the social uh, he had been using uh, the wrong social security number for years. Oh, no. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's actually in litigation. Uh, because he was paying, but into the into the wrong account. And there's all sorts of issues. And, well, why didn't he? You know, and he just assumed that uh, eventually it would be fixed. But the the most important thing was is that in real time, and that's the beauty about body language. Body language hits you at the speed of light. If you ever think about that, she immediately reacted like, "Okay, this is a sensitive subject with my uh, with my husband." Uh, and obviously the worst thing I could have done was, oh, you look surprised or shocked. Uh, can we go into it more? And that would have just uh, been a, uh, a debacle. Um, so knowing what to do with the body language uh, is, uh, is really key. And, that, and that's what I think the uh, Body Language Academy is, uh, is good for. And, and, it's, and I think it's a worthwhile investment in yourself. Um, one of the things that I learned also over the years was how few uh, graduate schools spend any time on body language, and yet um, uh, you need it for negotiations. Uh, you certainly need it uh, for arbitration. You need it for conducting depositions uh, for, for court. Uh, in the legal profession, even in the medical profession. And they might get two hours of material if, if they're lucky on, on, on the subject. And yet that's what they do all day. Um, so it's, um, you know, I see it as an investment in, uh, in yourself. There's no doubt that it is. And I'm so thankful to hear your references, getting away from the myths, stop focusing on catching people lying. What are we doing to enhance relationships, create better outcomes, be able to pivot in the moment, like you said, all so, so, so very important. I know your time is limited today, sir, and I'm very happy that you took the time to join us and share so much wisdom with us. Uh, if we had a whole day, I'd be asking you all kinds of questions about all of your books. So who knows, maybe sometime down the road, we might get another shot. But what I would love to ask you just to help wrap this up is for people that might not have been previously familiar with you, if there are any, if they're thinking, wait a minute, this work sounds fascinating. I need to learn more. Where do they need to go to access more of your teaching and more of your content? Yeah, if if they just go to uh, uh, joenavarro.net, 
my website and has all the uh the the books there um and uh online um you know they can just type in my name and uh my website hopefully will uh will will pop up um but i i know you're going to be kind enough later to uh, uh put the uh the link so i uh, i appreciate that the one question i do get is well what book do i start out with um and that's a good question um <laughs> uh, because I've written 14 of them. So my, my best advice is always start with what everybody is saying. Um, it's, um, it's now, and it's, uh, well, it's been out since 2007. It's, uh, it's sold a million copies worldwide. And I think it gives you a nice solid foundation, um, followed by uh, Louder Than Words, which is really based on my lectures at the Harvard Business School uh, for uh, Brian Hall uh, out there. Um, and then uh, uh, the Dictionary of Body Language, which uh, has over 400 behaviors. Uh, I, you know, some people are shocked that really there's, <laughs> there's a lot more even after that. But um, it, it's nice to be able to see something and already know, oh yeah, I've seen that before. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, nothing new. And then if you're, if you're interested in the kinds of people that are prone to hurt us, unfortunately, uh, I would recommend dangerous personalities, uh, which has, uh, these very robust, very well proven very well validated checklists of behaviors uh, from the standpoint of uh, the victims that I interviewed over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you're in business uh, or if you're just starting out, um, I, 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 one of the best, um, or I shouldn't say one of the best books, but I, I, of all the books I wrote, I think it's one of the most significant because it looked at, well, Joe, you're always talking about behaviors, but what are the best behaviors that we can use to get ahead? And um, and that's be exceptional. And, it, and there's really only five things that set the exceptional apart. It has nothing to do with the, how much money you make. Um, I talked to some exceptional people who were farmers, uh, there's an interesting story about a lady in Brazil that does needlework and she's blind. It's just breathtaking. And you realize uh, what, it, what sets exceptional uh, people apart. And I loved writing that book because there's no one famous in it. Nice. Right? A lot of books about success are, oh, well, this famous. Uh, no, no, no. Most of us just deal with, you know, most of us are just like myself, very normal, very average, but what sets the exceptional apart? And I found that uh, worldwide, there were just five things. And if you master those, um, it's, it's certainly within uh, your wheelhouse. So, um, Can I ask super fast, just bullet points, what those five things are? Yeah. Um, so number one is mastery of self. Mastery of knowledge, mastery of a skill. You, you have to master yourself first. You can't expect any university, any program to make you a master of anything, right? Your Michelangelo's, your Leonardo's, your, uh, your great physicians, uh, they went out of their way to further master uh, uh, themselves, but you have to have mastery over yourself and your emotions. The, fact, the second thing that all exceptional people have is they have the ability to observe. And, uh, and you say observe, yeah, the needs, wants, the desires, uh, the fears, and the concerns of others. And they do it in real time. And even those that I interviewed that were bull. Around them. There's a, there's a fascinating story of, of this lady in Brazil who was uh, totally blind. 
And she knew everything that was going around her because she had mastered uh, uh, being in tune with everybody else, right? Most of us think about ourselves. She could have cared less about herself. She was just in tune with everybody around her. Where are they sitting? What noises are they making? Are they relaxed? How are they breathing? It was, it was a master class in being exceptional, being in that, uh, and she's passed away, but uh, she was uh, remarkable. Well, and, she, and she did it uh, blind. Um, the ability to observe the, the ability, number th- the three is the ability to communicate effectively verbally and non-verbally, um, uh, but most importantly, to communicate that which matters the most in real time. And sometimes it's not words. Uh, sometimes what a person needs is a hug and silence. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, uh, the fourth, uh, uh, item they all share is uh, that, they, that they can act pro-socially, right? So it benefits others, but very quickly. What most of us miss is we will do things too slowly, we don't react fast enough, or we just don't do anything. And that just makes you average. Um, and then lastly, uh, and probably the most important is that they understand the concept of psychological comfort, that the most important thing for humans is not perfection, right? A baby, a young child, uh, they don't care if they're sucking their thumb or if they're hugging a dirty uh, teddy bear. That the most important things for human is psychological comfort. And whoever provides that, uh, be that uh, at home, in uh, at a store, uh, or from a government, um, that they are the soonest winner, and um, and so but that's what the book is about. Is well, how do you do all these things? Uh, how did these exceptional people? Uh, I remember being at a farm uh, in Arizona and talking to a farmer. And he knew uh, he knew his cattle. He knew the fields. He knew the land. He knew, um, you know, you could tell this person wakes up and he is constantly observing everything, everything from temperature to weather to how the cows were moving that day to uh, the ground. I have never seen anything like it. and I thought to myself, I bet that's not even in a textbook. Uh, the, 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 this keen ability to observe and, and what an advantage he had over some of his competitors. Uh, you know, when do we move things to market? When do we bring the cattle in? When do we, uh, you know, spray the cotton? Um, it's um, uh, observation, uh, and observation is the key to innovation. You know, people talk about innovating or seeing, you know, what can I create? Well, if you don't observe, you'll never get there. So I've got to go, but uh, I really appreciate the time to, uh, to share this with you, and I, I appreciate your uh, well-thought-out uh, questions. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. You shared a, a wealth of wisdom for everybody that was listening. I'm grateful for it. Thank you again for taking the time and hopefully we'll get to see each other again down the road. Thank you very I much. I hope so too. All the best to you and thank you. Joe, thank you again for sharing your time, your wisdom, and such a wonderful conversation. So many ideas to unpack there. We could take another hour to do it, but just sharing some of your thoughts that were so impactful Just the simple thought of observing the world around you in a way that makes you wiser. What a wonderful thought. Or the importance of consideration that we don't have a social obligation to anybody to be a victim. I love the line, I've never seen a screaming voice help, ever. And I was particularly intrigued with the thought that it's actually unethical to observe a behavior and automatically assume somebody that's lying. Joe, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. As you said, we'll provide links to all of your books, your online academy, your articles, everything. We really appreciate all you shared with us today. Thank you.
And of course, thank you to everybody who took the time to listen to this conversation. We truly appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you. Before we leave, we want to thank our sponsors one more time as well. Please head over to Humantel and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off all of their self-paced, best-in-class online training to learn how to accurately identify in real time when somebody's emotions are changing and what that likely means for them in the moment by recognizing their nonverbal communication and facial expressions. That's over at humantel.com. Please also head over to certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of Interviewers. And that's where you can learn all about the programs that they have available for their members, the learning opportunities for their members, the resources that they have for their members. And of course, that's where you can dive into the qualifications for the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation. And if you qualify, what that designation could mean for you and your career. And as well, please head over to Inquasive.com where you can learn more about the customized engagements we're asked to to put on for our clients in order to teach them and their teams how to encourage people to share sensitive information under vulnerable circumstances in the face of consequences. Thank you all again for being here today. We truly appreciate it. Please take the time to subscribe to the show, share the show, leave us your feedback. We'd love to hear more about what you do and don't like and what you'd like to see more of. We appreciate you doing all those things that the algorithms ask us to do. But most importantly, we appreciate you being here every week and hopefully taking as much from these conversations as we do. Thank you again. Please stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time.